Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. If you grabbed one of the hardback Bibles from out front, you'll find it on page 980. Philippians chapter 1, we'll actually begin in verse 27 and read all the way through verse 4 of chapter 2. Uh, Again, it's our practice to stand when we read Scripture together. Uh, So if you're able, let me ask you to stand now. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, O Holy Spirit, as the one who inspired Paul to write these words, as the one who has preserved them this nearly two centuries, 2,000 years. Father, we pray that You would be with us now. Teach us, O Holy Spirit. Open hearts and minds to hear and to understand, but more importantly, to be changed, to be conformed into the image of Christ. For it's in His name that we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. See, the, the goal is now to see how many sermons in a row this guy's going to weave in stories from his trip to Scotland and Ireland. Uh, we had this kind of running joke while we were over there on our trip because the only day, we, we spent one night in England. We were in Ireland and Scotland all the rest of the time. We spent one night in England. The running joke, of course, was that it was the 4th of July. Uh, so there we were celebrating the 4th of July in England and trying not to call a lot of attention to ourselves, um, sort of made me realize, you know, as, as citizens of the U.S., we notice this over and over again, uh, we got a pass in certain places because, oh, you're Americans and, you know, you speak English and we understand you and, you know, they want to know as much about our country as we do about theirs. You had different lines to go through when you're going through airports. You're, you know, the color of your passport determines which line you go through, and that, that was, got confusing at times. There are 
there are certain rights and privileges that come with being citizens of the United States, with citizens of, of Athens, Alabama. This is where we pay our taxes. Uh, this is the, the flag to which we pledge allegiance and uh, the republic for which it stands. You get benefits as well, privileges afforded to you because you are an American, because you are a citizen of the United States. Paul, as he's writing this letter, yes, he's in prison. He's, he's in chains in Rome to, and chained to a, a Roman guard. And that guard changed every six hours, four hours. I can't remember exactly now, but But he's actually there because of a right and a privilege afforded to him as a citizen of Rome. He was a, a Roman citizen by his birth, and so he had the right, having been arrested for preaching the gospel, he had the right, ultimately, because he thought he wasn't going to get a fair trial initially, he thought various rulers, as he, as he kind of appealed his way up the chain of command, you can read all this, the last three chapters of Acts. He appeals to Caesar. As a, as a Roman citizen, he has the right to appeal his case to Caesar himself. And so he did. So he's, he's writing this letter in chains, but in part because of a, a privilege he has as a Roman citizen. He's writing to Roman citizens. Philippi was a, a Roman colony, and so the people who lived there, who particularly those who were born there, they understood. They have rights and privileges as Roman citizens, the same as if they lived in Rome itself, though they're kind of in Macedonian northern Greece. And Paul uses a verb in verse 27 that reminds us all of citizenship. It's a, a verb, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. But it, it carries with it, because you're a citizen of heaven, therefore live like it. It carries the notion of, of citizenship with it. It's a verb actually sort of created out of the noun for the word city or citizen. Paul's right off the bat, recognizing, and you and I know this, we live in two different zip codes. You live in, some of you may actually live in three zip codes. You may live in 35613 or 35611, but your mail goes to 35612. But you actually are a citizen of another zip code. It's, the, it's a zip code found in heaven. I don't know what the numbers are. But your citizenship is not just here in Athens. It's not just in the United States. It's not just here on earth. You have a, a citizenship. You carry a passport from heaven, if you will. That's, your, that's where you live. That's, that's your, where your, your citizenship is registered and located. Paul writes, as citizens, therefore, of the kingdom of heaven... You have to get this right. 
You have to make sure you get the cart and the horse in the right order. Paul's not saying in verse 27, live in such a way as to merit God's favor. He's not telling unbelievers. Now what you really need to do is you need to go out there and live a worthy life and maybe, just maybe, when you die, God will let you into heaven. Maybe, just maybe, you will have done enough good stuff enough good works to earn God's favor. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul nowhere says that. The Bible nowhere says that. He's saying because you already are citizens of heaven, you're expected to live in a certain way. You should live in a manner worthy of that citizenship. Worthy of the rights and privileges of one who dwells in heaven. That's why, by the way, we read those odd random verses from Leviticus 11 a few minutes ago. Because they specifically say to a redeemed people, be holy because I am holy. But even at the end in verse 45 of Leviticus 11, connected to our behavior is first our redemption. I've brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm taking you to the promised land in light of that redemption. Therefore, be holy for I am holy. So this passage then raises the question of what then would be a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? What does... What does a life of citizenship in heaven look like? If that's my, my passport, if my passport is, is from heaven, that's my dwelling, that's where I live, how should I live in light of that citizenship? Basically, two things in this passage. And having wrestled with numerous outline options, I ultimately stole one. From Derek Thomas. If you're going to steal from a preacher, steal from a guy with an accent. But living worthy of the gospel means that the gospel is first. The, the church at Philippi, I'm not sure, ever really got that huge. Remember, Paul planted this church, Paul and Silas planted this church. 12, maybe 15 years prior to writing this letter. He started with three converts in Acts 16. Two were explicitly told, technically I'm reading the conversion of the middle one into the story. So I'll admit that up front. And by now, Philippi, by the way, it had no synagogue. Remember there... All it took was ten devout Jewish men, and then you could form a synagogue. Philippi didn't have one. You couldn't find ten devout Jewish men. And so, there's, there's little Judeo-Christian background in Philippi. And the church at this point is perhaps not all that large. And they're facing, we're told at the end of verses 27 and then verse 28, 
there's some opposition. Now we know that there is tension within the church. We know there's some amount of dissension within the church. We know there's conflict within the church. That's, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. This is, this is opposition from the outside. This is, this is attacks from the culture around this church. You can imagine a, a small church in a context like the Greco-Roman world of Philippi. And the opposition they would face, the ridicule they would face, the, the jeers they might hear from people around them. There, there's some form of opposition. And Paul says, stand firm in one spirit. Strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. He's urging them and us to put the gospel first. That above all else, the gospel is first. Living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, living as citizens of heaven means that the gospel comes first. He uses a, a verb here that's got gladiator overtones. There's, there's athleticism and wrestling with one another against the enemy. Not wrestling against each other, but together wrestling against the opposition. It's got gladiator overtones. Perhaps Paul thinks that the, the real opposition is going to come from gladiators. It's going to come from the Colosseum. It's going to come from the Roman culture around them. But in light of this opposition, in the face of this opposition, living in a manner worthy of the gospel means standing firm for the sake of the gospel. Enduring that opposition. It, it means enduring the, the ridicule and ribbing of, of the culture around you. Why? Because the gospel is first and foremost in your life above what you think of me. Think of how easy it is if I'm first in my life. Your opinion of me is going to matter more than the gospel. Your opinion of me is going to matter more than, than anything. Paul says, above all else, the gospel should be first. You know, you and I live in a culture that will tolerate anything. We live in a culture that allows anything, any belief, any behavior, anything you want to accept Christianity. It takes ridicule and, and jeering and jabbing from all sorts of angles. You'll hear it from teachers, you'll hear it from professors, you'll hear it in the news, you'll hear it in the the philosophy and culture of the world around us. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel means that the gospel comes first. It means striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, defending the, the truth of Scripture, defending the content of the gospel. Notice, there are church implications in what Paul writes here. 
one of my favorite Disney Pixar movies is The Incredibles. Mr. Incredible tells Buddy, his biggest fan, uh, he says, tells him to go away. He says, I, I work alone. Notice there's no aloneness in this passage. There's no looking at the opposition and going, I got this. You're standing side by side. You're standing firm together. There's the need for the church. You're not doing battle against the opposition as the lone ranger, but you're together, linking arms together. I kept having in my head this image of the Roman army. Times when they would line up side by side, their shield almost, shields almost making a wall in the way they do battle. And then times when they would form that tortoise shell, they basically collapse into each other and every shield has a, a, a place to go. And they basically form a, a tortoise shell around them with their shields. You can almost sense that need in the church. Times when we link arms and, and lock arm in arm together and march together, standing firm against the opposition, striving for the faith of the gospel together. Besides, Jesus warned us. I mean, suffering is part of it. Suffering is, is part of it. Now, nowhere does Jesus or the Bible ever tell you go looking for suffering. It doesn't actually say, now, what you need to do is you need to go out and make some people angry and go seek oppression in some... The Bible never says that. But Jesus says, they oppose me. Why would you think they wouldn't oppose you? I suffered. Why would you think you would not suffer? Even here in this passage, Paul says, Christ has granted you belief. Verse 29, Oh, and He's also granted you suffering for His sake. Wait a minute. See, at this point, the... Prosperity gospel sounds a whole lot better to me. No, 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 no. See, my life should be easy because I believe in Jesus. I should have all kinds of money because I believe in Jesus. Everybody should like me because I believe in Jesus. Everything should go exactly the way I want it to because I believe in Jesus. I never get sick because I believe in Jesus. I would sure rather have that than, oh, by the way, it has been granted to you by God for the sake of Christ. That you should believe. I get that. If, if it hadn't been for His grace and mercy, I would have no interest in Christ. Oh, and that you might also suffer for His sake. Christian living is so countercultural. Putting the gospel first above all else is so countercultural that it will be noticed. And it will be mocked. Living worthy of the gospel means the gospel comes first. Living worthy of the gospel also means that I'm last. A number of years ago, our family went with three other families to family camp at Kanakuk near Branson, Missouri. 
Uh, Kanakuk is, I guess, an Indian name of some sort. It's spelled with a K, and so all their camp things are spelled with Ks. It's camp with a K. Uh, we went to family camp, camp with a K. And, you know, that being a Christian camp, we had a great time, but being a Christian camp as it was, they grabbed some cultural thing and, and, and used it and gave it a Christian angle and used that as their theme for the week, Under Armour had their protect this house advertisements going on. And so they pretended, you know, we live in huts. And so we, we take Under Armour's protect this house and we created this chant, I will protect this hut. Standard Christian camp fair for you, I guess. But Kanakuk has um, a running motto that is this. I'm third. I'm third. That's, that's their motto. What they mean by that is God first, others second, and I'm third. We can have conversations about how to make lists and prioritize God and others. We can have those conversations. But that's a good motto. I mean, they're basically taking the first four verses of Philippians 2 and saying, I'm supposed to be last. The gospel is first, and I'm last. Notice that, that Paul here says, living a life worthy of the gospel means putting others first. It means putting others ahead of yourself. It means that, that you are last. Again, if I'm, if I'm first in my life, if if my greatest goal and joy in life is my own peace and comfort and happiness, then suffering is a problem for me. Then you get in my way because I'm pretty sure your greatest goal in life is not my joy and comfort and happiness. The gospel gets in the way because, because I don't want to put Jesus first. I, I want to put me first. You can see the connection between the gospel first and me last. Between these two passages, if you will, the end of chapter 1 and the first four verses of chapter 2. A life worthy of the gospel means I'm last. It means I, I care more about the needs of others than I do myself. Notice a couple of things. One, putting others first leads to joy, verse 2. The church in Philippi had sent Paul a care package. He's, again, he's, he's chained in Rome. They had heard of his arrest. They heard that he was in prison. And they immediately put together a care package that they sent to Paul. In Rome, this man Epaphroditus evidently was the man or one of the people that took him his money, no doubt, to pay lawyers, to pay for his trial. Probably, we laughed about this before, probably a casserole, probably food of some sort, probably a, perhaps a jacket, uh, some things to write on, I mean, his computer. I don't know what all they took. But they sent a gift. They sent a care package to Paul. They heard of his condition 
condition, chained to Roman guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's allowed visitors. We know Timothy sees him. We don't know who, how many other people came to visit. The church in Philippi heard of Paul's condition and said, let's care enough about Paul that we'll take up a collection and we'll send money and a blanket and a jacket and some snacks to Paul in jail. Imagine Paul's joy when this new face appears at the door carrying a big UPS box full of goods, full of gifts for Paul. This, this visitor that perhaps he hasn't met, we don't know when he came to the church in Philippi, but, but he comes with this gift and he says, this is, this is from the church in Philippi. These are from the people, the church you planted in, in Philippi. We're sending you this gift. You can imagine Paul's joy. But he connects in verse 2, complete my joy. Not just that you have loved me enough to send a gift. Complete my joy that puts others in the church first. That you would care more for the needs of others. That you will think more of other people's needs and interests and put yours down at the bottom of the list. That you, rather than seek your own name, seek your own glory, seek your own honor and credit and fame and fortune, you would instead seek the good of those around you. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. We know there's discord. We know there's conflict. We know that that Paul will in chapter 4 actually call out two women by name in a letter that will be read publicly for conflict between the two of them. That kind of discord sows seeds of distrust and competition within the church. Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, the same love, full accord, one mind. Putting others first results in joy. Putting others first also means unity. Notice the number of times in this passage that Paul uses plural pronouns. The number of times he groups people together, working together, standing firm, verse 27, striving side by side, verse 27. The saints there, when they put the gospel first, they strive side by side, standing in one Spirit with one mind. You see it again in chapter 2. Comfort from love. Participation in the Spirit. Affection, sympathy. Same love, having the same mind, the same love, full accord, one mind. Over and over again. Putting others first, putting yourself last last means unity within the church in Philippi. This, by the way, this idea of the gospel first and self last 
this idea of a life worthy of the gospel, if you're a member at Grace Covenant, you've actually taken a vow to do just what this passage says. Our third membership vow asks the question. The first one says, do you admit that you're a sinner? The second one says, do you believe in Jesus as your only hope of salvation? The third one asks, if you can and will, with the help of the Holy Spirit, endeavor to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live in a manner that's consistent with the way believers ought to live. We have a running joke in our house. I won't call out the child in part because I don't remember which of our children did this, so I'm safe. Now, they're safe because of my old man memory. But we have this running joke in our house. There was a time when you would say, hey, kids, come and, you know, come to dinner, come you know, clean up the den, come on, let's go do yard work. I, I don't even know what it was. It could have been any number of things. And, and there was one of them, and I think it was one of them, who frequently would ask the question in response, can I just do this one thing? It's like I'm, I'm in the middle of something, and if I can complete this, it was amazing how long that one thing took, by the way. Um, but can I just do this one thing? That, that was the question. Hey, y'all need to couple, I'm in the middle, can I just do this one thing? I don't know what this one thing was. It could have been completely meaningless. It could have been nothing whatsoever. I have no idea. But that was the, can I just do this one thing? Paul says, here's your one thing. It's the very first word of verse 27 only. Here's your one thing. Can I just do this one thing? Yes, here's your one thing. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Is that your one thing? If, if someone says to you, hey, can you, and you, you would say, can I just do this one thing, what would that one thing be? W- would it be living in a manner worthy of the gospel? Would it be living out your citizenship that's, that, that puts greater joy and priority over the greater zip code in which you and I live rather than 35613 or 2 or 1? Would it be the honor and glory of Christ? Would it be the gospel first and me last? I would rather serve and honor and glorify Christ and love and care for others and put myself last? Is that your one thing? Paul says, only. It's the the Greek word mono. I mean, it's one. It's only. Here's your one thing. If you're here this morning trusting in Christ for your salvation, this passage urges you that the gospel would be first and you would be last in your life. If you've never trusted in Christ, if you're here this morning and you've you've never repented of your sin, you've never confessed, professed faith in Christ, you've never trusted in Him and in Him alone for your salvation, then you're reading this thinking, no, 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 I'm first. In fact, quite honestly, I want nothing more than to be first, not just in my life, but in everybody's life. 
What I really want is for all of y'all to orbit around me. I want to be not just the center of my universe, but I'd really like to be the center of yours. This passage says you can't live a life worthy of the gospel. Your citizenship is in, not in heaven. It's not in Christ. It's not in the gospel. Your greatest need then is to find redemption in Christ and in Him alone. To run to the cross and confess your sin and trust in nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's your hope. That's your plea. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we read your words in these verses and recognize that even as believers, we struggle. Far too often, we don't want to put the gospel first. We still want to be first. We don't want to see suffering as, uh, particularly suffering on account of Christ, suffering for the sake of the gospel as something that you would have granted to us. It's something you should have taken away from us. Father, even that betrays that my greatest desire is my own personal peace and affluence. Lord Jesus, would you, would you set our hearts right? Would you, <clears throat> by your grace, by your work, O Holy Spirit, the gospel would be first in our lives? And that we could truly say with Kanakuk, I'm third. I'm last. I'm, I'm putting myself at the bottom of the list. I'm going to care more for the gospel. I'm going to care more for the honor and glory of Christ. I'm going to care more for the good of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to care more for the needs of others, the interests of others, than my own. And Father, may it be that as we live lives worthy of the gospel, that would motivate, loosen our lips, our tongues to proclaim Christ because it is only by Your grace that our lives can reflect a manner worthy of the Gospel. Father, we pray that You would strengthen us to live for Christ in a world that will oppose Him. Through Christ we ask it. Amen.